Let's open our Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, we're going to look at the first 17 verses. The title of my message is Intimacy with God. I grew up in church, in a little Baptist church in the Los Angeles area. It seems like a lifetime ago, and it was a lifetime ago. My mother would take me to church every Sunday morning, every Wednesday night, so I could disrupt prayer of the old ladies on Wednesday night. I think I was the only kid there, and I would make noise. I was probably seven or eight years old, and that's what kids do. Maybe not your kids, but I did. <laughs> and I remember being a teenager in church, and it was the 70s. You remember the 70s? And at church was all about don't listen to rock and roll and cut your hair. And to me, church was important. It was familiar. It was where my mom took me. My dad stayed home, didn't go to church with us. And really, I thought, once I get out of my parents' house, I'm probably not going to go to church. And it was quite a shock to my system. In the mid-70s, when I discovered there was a different way to have a relationship with God. Now, I'm sure that I was born again as a child. I'm sure I prayed the prayer, who wants to receive Jesus in Sunday school? And I'd say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. You remember that prayer that you've prayed a hundred times, a thousand times? And then suddenly my eyes were opened and I became aware of the presence of God. And I, that I didn't know just as a teenager, as a child, and suddenly, I wanted to hear more of God's word. And I'm seeing that happen more and more in our church. One way to look at fruit in a church is numbers. In the business, we call it nickels and noses. We watch the offering and we watch attendance. And while that's not a total indicator, we do want to reach more people, and we pray that the Lord provides finances for the church, or we can't have church. So I want to say thank you for giving, and it is awesome to see how the Lord provides. But there's other ways to see what God is doing, to really pay attention. And another way that God is working in our church is there is this groundswell of a core team of of those who are serving and growing in this excitement to learn about ministry those who are just wanting to hear more and more of God's word and all of that is happening kind of behind the scenes a lot of you might not see that and we can have the most exciting Sunday morning worship service ever. But that doesn't mean there is a foundation for long-term ministry. And what's really important is that we have a, a core of 
a team that are, they're not the inside circle. I don't like, maybe you've been around churches that have like this inside group. I don't, I don't really like, we don't have an inside group. You can talk to me or Tanner or Maddie anytime. But there is, there is a core group of laborers, of ministers and servants, just like Jesus had the 12. It wasn't an exclusive group. It was a place to start. And starting with them, they would go and make disciples. Because one man can only make so many disciples. And he makes, they make disciples. And it just multiplies and multiplies. And if I can, if I can reach this group, then you will go reach others. People that I'll never even know. And again, we want to fill this place and two and three times. But before or if that ever happens, what is happening is that the team is getting established. And that is really exciting for me to see. It's really exciting for me to see who shows up for the small groups, for our school of ministry that we just finished up. Uh, this summer, and all these different things, those who are saying, man, I'm excited, just what can I do? That's happening through the church. And none of our programming, none of our activities can make that happen. We can't program that to happen. It's a work of God in your hearts. And hopefully my job, Tanner's job, Maddie's job, our job is to to, to plant this seed in your heart that you're, you're just saying, wow, my, I just feel like my eyes are open and I'm seeing something different that I've never seen before. It's not church. There's something else. And that shift is what I believe the Lord is doing with the disciples. The title of my message is Intimacy with God. And that's different from whether you're born again. Have you ever said, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. And you can be born again and in the family of God. But you can be born again and not have intimacy with God. Do you know that? And not all Christians want to be intimate with God. Some don't even know that there's a difference. No one's ever explained it because Christianity has often become so formalized. It's often about follow the rules, like what I knew when I was a teenager. Get a haircut. Don't listen to Led Zeppelin. There, I said Led Zeppelin in a sermon. And I knew my mother loved me. She wanted to protect me from that that stuff out in the world. But it was, as I've shared before, in the Jesus movement where, where the light went on. 
And Jesus is inviting not only his disciples, but anybody who will hear him into this kind of relationship with God. Come to God. Luke 18 starts that that he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Prayer, that that familiar thing we do that we're going to do come back tonight at six o'clock. We should always pray and not lose heart. In other words, don't become so overwhelmed by life that you just quit. You faint. You, you, you just say, what's the use? And so something needs to change that we have the kind of relationship with God where we're not starting and quitting, getting excited and then fading out. I know you go through seasons where you feel closer to God and maybe more discouraged about things. And that's kind of normal, but you should never lose that intimacy with God. It's in that place where you will suddenly discover the peace of God that passes understanding. You know that that Philippians 4 passage? What is this? Have you ever ever thought there's so many things in the Bible that you want that you don't understand? It's like, what is that about? I believe that it's true. For God so loved the world, and you hear about the intimate love of God or this peace that passes understanding, and you're going, I want that. It's really not in your performance but in just drawing close to God, that suddenly those things become a reality in your life. Here's one in Matthew 11, Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So it's an invitation. Come close to me. Be joined with me and labor with me. And quite often we turn even drawing close to God into another job we have to do. If you find yourself automatically thinking that way, that's not what I'm talking about. You're thinking, I already have enough to do. Pastor Terry's telling me I got to do this. It is, it is vital that as a believer, you learn how to rest. Not do more, but you learn how to rest. There's three things that are in this passage this morning. Lessons about this invitation to draw close to God. Now, let me ask a question. Do you want this kind of relationship with God? Do you want this kind of relationship with God? While you want it, it's also going to require that you let go of other things. 
You have to let go of other things because you can't be joined with the world and joined with God. There's an old story that pastors tell about the missionaries, or not missionaries, but tribal people. I'm not sure what country this was in, but they would catch monkeys and cook them up for dinner. Um, And the easy way to catch monkeys that were up in the tree is they would take a bottle, attach a rope to one end to it, put rice inside the, the bottle, and the opening to the bottle was just big enough for the monkey to get its hand in when it was open. Have you heard this story? I love that when you've never heard a story that I have. It would open its hand, just get its hand just inside, grab a handful of rice, and then couldn't get its hand out with a handful of rice. And so the the hunter comes along, and all he has to do is knock the monkey on the head. And the monkey's not smart enough to let go of the handful of rice. You've never heard this story before. I love that. Doesn't that describe how we get our hands on something in the world? And the Lord is saying, let it go. Let it go. I, Lord, I want you. I know danger's coming, but I, I can't let go of this. What do you have in your hands that's so important that it's keeping you from the Lord. Let it go. This first lesson, verses 1 through 8, is a reminder to pray persistently. Pray persistently. In verse 2, there was a certain judge in a city who did not fear God nor regard man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man. In other words, he's saying, I'm not going to be accountable to anybody. I'm going to do whatever I want. Verse five, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her. I'll get justice for her. Lest by her continual coming, she weary me. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? So he's saying we should pray persistently without fainting, without quitting, without getting overwhelmed. But he does acknowledge that even when he comes, there's going to be so much trouble on the earth that it can be overwhelming. Will he find people praying when he comes? Jesus is establishing uh, or challenging some established ideas about Really, who even has the right to come to God? We take this so casually. Pray. Did you pray about that? But even in their cultures, not everyone believed they had the right to even come and pray to God. The idea about whether God even hears them or is willing 
to respond to their prayers and help them. Because in so many cultures, there were people who were better than others. And of course, the better people, they had more rights and more privileges. And they're the ones who really have access to God. And occasionally someone will say to us pastors, well, would you pray about that for me? You, you know God. I'm going, well, wait. Aren't you, aren't you born again? You know God too. Yeah, but you're a pastor. And even in this parable, it's about a woman who is coming to a judge and asking for help. And don't be thrown off by the fact that this is an, an unjust judge because you think, how does that teach us about the character of God? And so many of these lessons in the Bible are simply a Hebrew way of teaching to bring contrast. You remember how Jesus would say that if you want the Holy Spirit, ask, or if any of your children ask for bread, would a father give him a stone? And he goes, look, even if you, being wicked, will give your children what is good, how much more... Will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? It's a contrast. He's not saying that God is is unjust or reluctant. He's saying if an unjust judge will respond to this woman's petition and give her what she asks, how much more will our heavenly father hear what we're praying about and give us justice? How much more? Did you know that every one of you has the same access to God as anyone else? We all have exactly the same access to God. The only requirement is that you are one of his children. Every child of God God doesn't have favorites. I think I'm a favorite, but that's just in my mind. You have the same access as anybody else. The most famous pastor in the world has no greater access to God than you. And I love that's a hard lesson to learn. A very hard lesson, because in our cultures, we have this sense of who who is better, who is more special than others. Aristotle felt that the slaves allowed superior men to have more time to pursue higher things like government. Plato felt that, well, evil was just a... uh, a product of ignorance, so the educated were better people in society. And that just goes, filters on through culture that there are some who are better than others, men better than women, educated better than the uneducated, masters better than the slaves, Jews are better than Gentiles. And as crazy as all that sounds, it does kind of filter into our thinking. Oh, I'm not good enough to have this kind of relationship with God. 
And I'm sad to say that some pastors even kind of convey that in their tone of voice. And I'm sorry if you ever were influenced by one of those kinds of pastors. What degrees do you have? A master's in theology, a, a PhD in theology. I have no degrees in ministry. I read the book. Did you know that your book, your Bible, has the answers in it? You don't have, there's not a teacher's edition. Read the book, and what do you do after you read it? This is not hard. What do you do after you read it? You read it again. And what do you do after that? You read it again. I'll tell you, one of the signs, the indicators that God has gotten a hold of somebody and the light has gone on is they can't stop reading the Bible. It's suddenly they're seeing things in it they've never seen before. And, they're, and I was like that in my, in around 25, I'm going, did you see this? Did you know this is in the Bible? It was like nobody has ever seen it. And I was reading and I'm going, look, here, I'm showing all my friends. Did you know this is in here? They're going, yeah, Terry, stop bugging us. Nobody was telling me I had to go to church or I had to go to this prayer meeting or you better do this. I'm going, when's the next thing I can get to? What can I help out with at church? When are we going on a missions trip? I'm bugging my employer to give me time off so I can fly all over the world and play music. I don't want to say you better do this. Because it's not a have to, it's I have to. We should pray persistently because it's an opportunity to draw near to God. That's where you're going to find the peace and the power of God. Now, the question is, if God knows our needs... Jesus says, don't worry about what you need. Your father, see if he cares for the, the birds and the flowers. And how much more does he care for you? If God, that's a good question. If God sees what I need, why does he want me to pray about it? Why, does, why do I have to keep praying about it? Isn't that, how many of you have asked that question? Let me see your hands. Would you like an answer? Here it is. Um, pens out. iPhones open to the note app. Three reasons that God wants you to keep praying about your needs. One is to draw you into a deeper relationship with him. Because the truth is, it's in your need is when you pray more. When times are good, I pray less. Secondly, to develop in you godly character. When you are praying over and over and over, you are changed. And thirdly, 
to demonstrate his power to everyone around you. Even in hard times, when you are drawing near to God and and depending on him for his strength, people are watching you. And when they watch you not freak out, that's that's a powerful testimony. So God wants you to pray. When my kids have needs, I don't want to just know about it. I want them to come and talk to me about it. Right? I have grandkids. I have eight grandkids. And when they knock on the door and come in and say, Papa, I want to talk to you about something. It means, let's go play drums. Can I have some of your chocolate? Um, It's important stuff. But I like it that they want to come and talk to me about it. Because in talking to me about it over and over, it develops the relationship. God wants a deeper relationship with you. Now, I'm talking about whether you want a deeper relationship with God. But did you know that God wants a deeper relationship with you? Is that shocking to you? No, it's not. But while it's not a new idea, we forget about it, don't we? I forget about it. The second lesson in drawing near to God is to remember to re- just be to repent in humility. To repent in humility. Verse 9. He also spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself, God, I thank you that I'm not as other men, extortioners, unjust, uh, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled And he who humbles himself will be exalted or lifted up. Again, Jesus is challenging these established ideas of religion. Some are better than others. Some have better access to God. A Pharisee who could list out all that he said, I'm doing all these things for you, God, as if God needed him to do those things for him. The tax collector is one of the most despised people in society. Still is. But it wasn't who they were, but their attitudes that made the difference. The tax collector just said, God, forgive me. Forgive me. And that, that humility... And that's all that God is looking for. To hear our prayers, 
and that man was justified. Do you know what the word, uh, a great definition pastors have said, justified is just as if I'd never sinned. It means that once you are forgiven of your sins, God doesn't just forgive you. He wipes it away as if you have never done it. Justified, just as if I'd never done it. I cannot forget. And it's not that God forgets, but he never looks at you as if, well, I know I've forgiven you. You know the way we look at up people. <laughs> we forgive them, but we just keep our eye open. God wants you to know that your past is completely gone. It's, there's not even a past to bring up. And how often we're the ones who are remembering our past as if our past has become our badge, who we were. And I love it when people come into the church from maybe some horrible background and the Lord so radically changes their life that there is no sense of any shame of old things. They're just so free, completely delivered. And the lesson is, if you are humble and repent, that completely removes old things. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. The third lesson in drawing near to God and in intimacy with God is that you are precious to God. Every one of you is precious to God. Verse 15. Then they also brought infants to him that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. Jesus called them to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of God. Surely I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Usually when we tell this story, we talk about the faith of a child, and it mentions that in other passages, the faith of a child. And children are simple in their faith. They, in their faith. they just believe what you say unless um, you teach them that you don't keep your word, which is not good for your children. Um, but the faith of a child is the faith that is saving. But this goes way beyond that. Again, it is a lesson to the disciples that everyone is precious to God. Even the disciples at this time are judging who is more important than other people. And every one of you, as I've already said, is precious to God. If you ever get in your in mind this idea that because of your past, 
you are not of value to God or you don't have access to God. Or God doesn't hear your prayers the same as other people. That concept is completely of the world or of religion. World religions teach those ideas. That there are more important people. There's the holy men. But the rest of you have to come through us to get to to a deity. So whether you're here or at home or wherever you are, you have access to God. Now again, do you want this kind of relationship with God? You say yes, and I say yes. But when you start to do it, you will discover things that might be getting in your way. Do you know that? You're going to discover things that are keeping you from doing this very thing that you want to do to draw near to God. Keep in mind that monkey with his hand in the bottle. Do I want this thing, this handful of rice, more than intimacy with God? Now, it's not a condemnation. It's not like God is heaping this judgment on your head and, oh, too bad for you that you have this issue in your life. God loves you. And he is patient with you. Now, I know good and well that God has been patient with me over the years. While I work out in my own life, letting go of the rice in the bottle. And through the years of my life, I've seen different issues that I've had to finally say, I've got to stop holding on to this. And you can be here week after week. God loves you the same. But I want you to know that over the weeks and over the years, God is helping you let go of things that are keeping you away from intimacy with him. He wants a closer abiding relationship with him. He, don't lo- he doesn't love you less. It's just that he, can, he, he can't do all the things that he wants to do in your life if you've got your own things going on. As the worship team comes up, we're going to have a minute to just wait on the Lord. And I want to invite you to just respond to God. And I believe the Lord has spoken to each of you this morning. How many of you feel like the Lord has just brought to mind something that is keeping you from drawing near to him. Let me see your hands. I'd like to write down on a piece of paper that issue. I'm just kidding. And you know it's there. It's been there for years probably. So you're thinking, God, I've tried to deal with this. Why is this moment any different? 
instead of you saying, God, I will really try, I'll try harder than I've ever tried. How about if you just say, Lord, I have tried and I can't do it. And Lord, I just come to you and ask, Lord, you forgive me of my sins. And what's going to make the difference is that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, because you can be born again and not filled with the Spirit. Did you know that? It is by the Spirit of God that you're even able to do those things that are pleasing to God. You're not able to. So if you've tried and failed, I would say, yeah, join the club. Tried and failed. But to be filled with the Spirit is simple, as simple as asking. And I want to invite you this morning to just say, Lord, would you fill me with the Holy Spirit? You may feel something. You may not feel something. We don't want to get into these formulas where it has to look a certain way. Stand with me if you would. And I'm going to pray for you. And during this song, I want to... We're going to have our worship team up front. I'm sorry, our prayer team up front. And you can come forward and have them lay hands on you and pray for you. You can stay in your seat where you are. But if you're done holding on to the rice in the bottle, then the Lord will honor this simple request to give you the spirit. Do you want that? Lord, today we just, we say thank you again for your patience, your long suffering. To be reminded that you love us and that you want an intimate relationship with us is amazing. Lord, I just pray at this moment, at this time, this will happen for so many in this room. We shift out of religion, out of performance, into a relationship, into the peace of God.